All right, gathering, it is my pleasure to introduce John Elmore. We're glad you're here, man. Thank Thanks. You, Thank you so much. Gathering, so good to be with you all. I, I like, I, I have the best seat in the house because I'm hearing from the band and then I'm hearing from you all. And it's so encouraging to hear you all worship. And so I'm thankful to be here with you. When you walked in, what did you receive? Anybody get something? You got a penny? Okay, so on that penny, you're gonna wanna pay attention. If you've got a 1943 penny, it might be worth $1.7 million. That's not a prosperity gospel ploy, that's just a fact. So check to see if it's 1943. There's also gonna be on that penny marks of authenticity. We do this with all the US currency, right? There's a mark of authenticity. They've got watermarks on the bill if you hold it up to the light. On the coins, it shows where it was minted. So it might have a D for Denver, a P for Philadelphia, a CC for Carson City, wherever that is. But there's little marks of authenticity to make sure that it's not a fake as you flip it over and you look at it. Now, if you flipped me over, you would see an authentic mark on me too to know that I'm not being fake. I have a tattoo. I think it's the worst tattoo in the room. I would argue with anyone that it is. On my right butt cheek, I have the word kitten with a little cat paw. Feel the freedom to laugh like the guys over here. It's horrible. It's an absolutely horrible tattoo. If you think you have something worse, uh, I would, I would feel free to a, to a standoff at the end. I'm not gonna show it to you. But kitten, written in like kindergarten font with a little cat paw beside it. Like, what do you do with that? And that was just one of like a thousand terrible decisions that I made as an alcoholic. Like, as Andy said, it's like, okay, we're hitting addiction. Who should I call? Oh, old addict. But it's who I was and not who I am because of Jesus. And so you're gonna hear about that tonight but as I said, that tattoo is one of a thousand like horrific decisions I made when I was just dead in my sin and falling headlong into my addiction with alcoholism, pills, weed, porn, women, status, money, you name it. I was grasping for all of that as much as I could, to have as much fun as I could, as fast as I could. It was just all that my life was about from 18 to 30. And it was a train wreck. Like, I was falling apart, but I had no idea. And the reason why I start there is because all of us have something. Like, everybody's got something in their life that they wish wasn't there. It's not just me, and it's not just my tattoo. Everybody's got something that they're like, dude, I just like, I can't shake this thing. This thing that I wish wasn't my thing, and I've pled with God to take it away through tears. I've walked the aisle, I've like prayed and pleaded, and I've told other people, and yet it remains. And so... What do I do with that? Like either God's not all powerful or not all loving, or maybe I don't have enough faith or somewhere in between, but you're still left with that thing and Satan is like whispering or maybe screaming those lies. Like he may have saved you from hell, but that's always gonna mark you. That, that thing that you've had since junior high or, or that you've acted out in since you were sexually abused as a kid or when you were exposed to porn by the neighborhood guy or girl or when you were touched by that babysitter or when you started experimenting with X, Y, or Z or when you first gave yourself to a guy and now you can't guy after guy after guy after guy or that body image thing because your parents told you that you needed to lose weight and you keep staring in the mirror or the social media comparison, whatever it is, everybody's got something. And if I didn't list yours, it might be the like, you sitting there being like, not me. And it's self-righteousness. And Jesus reserved his strongest rebuke for those who said, thank God I'm not like them. I pray and I tithe. And the sinner went away justified. The Pharisee did not. 
but we all have our thing. And scripture testifies to this. It's 1 John 1, 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so tonight, in that regard, we're gonna be talking about authenticity and repentance. Authenticity meaning a confession, to call a spade a spade, to say what actually is, to bring things into the light, and then repentance, which is a turning from sin by turning towards Christ. And they always go hand in hand. You can't have confession without repentance. The Bible knows nothing of that. There's always an acknowledgement of the sin and then a turning from it. But I think in our broke Christianity, in this Western version that we have, we're like, well, I, I shared it. I kind of offloaded that. I said, me too, online. So, but it still remains. And we don't effort towards repentance. And also, I would argue that repent has become a bad word. Like we're imagining the guy in Times Square with a sandwich board that says, repent for the end is near. And he's shouting at people and he's angry. Repentance is a word that brings freedom. It's, it's healing, it's freedom. It's a gift from God to repent, to bring things into light and to repent. And so this is a return to that. And I'm gonna give you as much as I can, like really practical things. And here's why I'm so passionate about this is because this is what God used to save my life. Because when I say I'm a recovering alcoholic, like when I drink, I, well, my first sip, I remember at four years old, sitting on the back steps of the house we were living on, it was a Coors, like old school, not Coors Light. And uh, I, I can still taste it. I know where I was sitting. And I tell people that I look at my brother's Sports Illustrated magazines and you're like, oh yeah, swimsuit edition. I'm like, well, yes, that. But what I'm talking about is I would look at my brother's Sports Illustrated and I would flip to those magazine articles and it was all black. I can see the page, full black page with a highball glass with golden liquid in it. And I was just like fascinated by it. I was drawn to it. I always had this curiosity. And so in junior high, I started drinking after school, like literally by myself, mixing drinks. And then in high school, like kind of living the religious life, but also like had stash of liquor in my closet. And then I go off to college. I walked the stage half drunk as a functional alcoholic, but I had a job and I held all, every office in fraternity and I had the girl and whatever. And so Life wasn't falling apart, so I was like, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. Like, I'm not sleeping in the ditch. I don't keep a fifth of vodka in my desk drawer. Like, I'm good, that's not me. But I was a functional alcoholic. And I heard when I was a kid, sin leads to death. And I was like, that's stupid. Sin doesn't lead to death. That's a scare tactic by a youth pastor. Nobody drops dead because they get high, get drunk, sleep with a girlfriend, mess around, take a pill. Like, it's just not true. And the other thing that I heard that I thought was a lie was there's freedom in Christ. And I'm like, no. There's actually anything but freedom in Christ. It's bondage. He keeps me from doing everything I wanna do. Like, it's, it's horrible. It's a cosmic buzzkill. And so there's not freedom in Christ. And there I am, functional alcoholic. I go down to Austin, Texas, and now it's weed and pills and money and women and hooking up and go down to Mexico and think that it's okay to make out with a prostitute because I didn't sleep with her and I didn't pay for it. So that's probably all right. Even though in hindsight, she was probably underage and being trafficked. And I tell people, I never struggled with porn. I didn't struggle with porn ever in my life because I loved it. I thought it was amazing. There was never any struggle with it. Just like loved it, brought it into a relationship. And then I found out that the girl that I was with was sleeping with one of my buddies from college. So I loaded my 12 gauge shotgun and called him about a hundred times to hunt him down. And it was gonna be murder-suicide. Like, you're dead, told him that. 
and then I'm gonna kill myself because I don't wanna spend life in prison. And that's how this is gonna go. I wanted out of the hell that I was living in, just like all my world collapsed as this caught up with me. And I took that shotgun, flipped off the safety, put it to my head, but I didn't go through with it because of what I thought would, it would do to my family. But I wanted out of the hell that I was living in. What I didn't know is that I would have been in a much worse eternal hell separated from the goodness of God forever had I pulled that trigger. And then became just like manic, like nightmares. I stopped eating, I couldn't sleep. I was, I was a train wreck. I had three doctors tell me, if you keep drinking like this, you're going to die. And I was like, good, I wanna die. So then a family intervention, I was drinking with two homeless guys in Austin, Texas. Brother finds out, one-way flight to Austin, pulls me back to Dallas. My family's like, hey, you're hurting us, you're hurting yourself, no more. I walk into an AA meeting. And in that AA meeting, I was asked a question that relates to the penny that you're holding. And the question that I was asked was so simple that I thought it was stupid. And it changed my life. And I'm gonna tell you, as we conclude what it is, because I believe it will change your life too. Now this isn't some like life hack that I ripped off from AA and I'm syncretizing into the church. This is Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals their sin, whoever conceals it, you hide your sin, you won't prosper. You won't advance. You will not move forward. Like God will hem you in because he loves you. And he knows that sin will lead to death. When I thought sin didn't lead to death, it took 12 years, but I had doctors telling me, you're gonna die of alcoholism, and I had a gun to my head. And I was like, huh, what do you know? Sin leads to death and bad tattoos. So you won't prosper if you conceal your sin, but God never leaves you there. But, he says, whoever confesses and renounces will find mercy, confession, and repentance, authenticity and repentance, whoever confesses and renounces. And so it's said like this, if you conceal your sin, God will expose it. If you expose your sin, meaning confess it, God will conceal it with the blood of Christ. It's what he does, it's what he lives to do. And, and hear me gathering, God's not mad at you. He wants you to be free. It's why he came for us. It's why he sent Jesus, that we could be free. But here's what I think, is that many of us are born again and we are still bound to sin. We're born again and yet bound to sin. And we're living in this frustrated, just eking out the spiritual existence, this side of eternity, like, well, I trusted in Jesus for my eternity. And I guess I'm just gonna like struggle and fumble and wrestle and crawl my way towards heaven in this battle with sin. And it's not the case. Jesus said he came that we would have the full abundant life, but we've been sold a false bill of goods by Satan and live in this defeatist mentality that like, hey, you may be saved eternally and you're not gonna go to hell, but this is always gonna be your struggle. It's always gonna be your ditch. You've tried to quit, you've asked God, it's just your thing, get used to it for the next 60 years. You're gonna drag it into marriage. Your kids are gonna know about it and deal with it. It's just your thing. And it is a lie from hell. Because when Jesus said he came to set the captives free, which was the prophecy that he read when he first began his ministry, Isaiah 61, that he came that the captives would be set free. It was we who were slaves to sin and Satan. He's like, I have come to burst the bonds that we would walk in freedom. 
And so what happens, I believe, is that we trust in Jesus for justification. We trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, raised from the dead, for the forgiveness of sins, that we would be right with God. And that's the gospel, and it's such good news that you can be right with God by trusting in Jesus. His sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, showing he was not just a good teacher, but he was God in flesh. Every other prophet of every other false dead religion is still in the tomb. Jesus alone walks out of the grave, showing I was not just a man, not just a prophet. He alone claimed to be God. And in that, you have peace with God, reconciliation, that he took upon himself the sins of the world, that our sins were nailed to the cross, that we could go free. So we trust with him the justification, but then what about the sanctification? The sanctification is on the other side of the cross. You've got that you're born again, but yet still like we're in this wrestle with sin before we get to heaven, then glorification will be made like him when we see him away from the power, presence of sin. But here we are in this space in between and there's sanctification. And what I believe is that we trust him for the first and not for the latter. We say like, I'll trust you with my eternity, but not with my today. And thus we're stuck. And so this is gonna be the way out. And what I wanna tell you, the ways, there's gonna be two that we're gonna talk about, is the spirit of God and the people of God. And with these incorporated together, you will war against sin and be victorious. And so with that in mind, here we go. So, there are, I said this wasn't a ripoff from AA. Let me, let me back up a few hundred years to the Great Reformation. Martin Luther, great reformer, led the Reformation, brought the gospel back to the church, brought the word of God back to the church. He wrote these 95 theses that he nails to the door of the church in Wittenberg that sparked the Great Reformation, like awakened the church. The first four of those, of his 95 theses, are all about repentance, daily repentance, that we should all walk in this daily turning from sin by turning towards Christ every single day. And that like laid the work for the Reformation and breathed life back into the church. You've got another one a couple hundred years later named John Owen. John Owen, great theologian in England, and he says this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Meaning every single day, the battle is either gonna be won or lost. There's no neutral in the Christian life. You're either gonna be killing sin or it is going to be killing you every single day. And so he says, do you mortify? Do you make this your daily work? Cease not a day from it. He's talking about this daily warring against sin, not like a once and for all, like, hey, I walked the aisle. I asked, I asked for God to take away my sex addiction. He hasn't. My porn and masturbation addiction, he hasn't. My giving myself away to men, he hasn't. So I don't know, I ask. Owen would argue, Martin Luther would argue, no, do it every day. Of course, like it's a daily thing, not a once and for all thing. And then you've got Jonathan Edwards who led the Great Awakening in America. And he wrote these 70 resolutions. And in these resolutions, like, these are the things I will do. These are the things I won't do. And he decides them in advance. I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna be reactive and like, well, I wonder what comes upon my day. And then I'll kind of decision tree my way through life. Like, I think this, I feel that. Eh, maybe, maybe not. 
He's like, no, I have already decided before I get in any situation, I will do this, I won't do that. And he drew the line. And in that like great awakening through the church. And so here's what it is in scripture. It's Romans 8, 13. And this is where the power is, is that the Holy Spirit is the sin killer. The Spirit is the one who kills the sin. In Romans 8, 13, it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Again, this is where I'm like, no, you won't. That's, that's scare tactic. I'm just gonna do what I wanna do. Like, I can keep it under control. I won't suffer the consequences, you know? I, that, that past abortion, it's just gonna be a medical event. It'll be tucked away in my history. You live according to the flesh, you will die. Whatever your thing is, that path leads to death. It's emotional death, relational death, spiritual death, financial death. Like there's just an unraveling of self as we give ourselves to the desires of the flesh. It's what you want to do. I mean, guys, as I'm driving through Oklahoma, it hasn't hit Texas yet. There's, there's legalized weed everywhere, right? Like that used to be a struggle of mine. It's like, it's a temptation now as I'm driving through your state that I'm like, are you kidding me? I can pull over and buy weed and it's okay. And, and that's a temptation. As a recovering addict, now there's, it's not okay. There's never a place for it. You can't. Like there's no, I don't know if that's a rabbit trail. Uh, if you think you can get high and walk with the spirit, you can't. Like there's, there's the cliff notes. And so stay from that. But that's a temptation of mine. If I live according to the flesh, I will die. Again, the scriptures don't leave it there. Here's another but, just like in Proverbs 28, 13. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And again, this is the full abundant life. But he says, you don't have the power. The spirit has the power. You don't have the power. Owen, again, John Owen, he, he talks about this. He talks about the negative work of the Holy Spirit. And when I first heard this, I was like, you can't say that. Like the negative work of the Holy Spirit? Like you can't say God the Spirit does anything bad. Like how can you say anything the Spirit does is negative? Like that's a foul. Maybe I'm like reading old English because it's from the 1600s. Like how can you say negative work of the spirit. He's what, here's what he's saying. And it's, and it's amazing. And it's been lost. It's been forgotten. I feel like for the last 400 years is that we always talk about the fruit of the spirit, right? Like what's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's all like Bible school stuff that we, that we had to memorize and whatnot. Like such emphasis on that right? Like that's the fruit that he bears. And that's good. We should emphasize that. Jesus said, you'll be known by your love. That's the fruit that's born from the spirit. You can't muster up love or self-control or righteousness or goodness. That's all from the spirit. Romans 7, 18 says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. The evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. It's the spirit bearing that fruit in your life. That's only one side of his job. The spirit who is the sanctifier. The father adopts, elects. The son washes by the blood, takes our sin. Then the spirit takes over and sanctifies. That's just the good. There's the other half. This is the negative work of the spirit. And this is amazing. This will change your life. He kills sin. It's his job, not yours. We've been wrestling all our life in vain. Like, am I just such a freaking idiot? Idiot, like I know that porn is destroying me. 
I know me and my girlfriend, we can't stop. Like what? And, and you try and you effort and you put boundaries in place and whatever it is. And then you just like keep blowing past them because it's not your job. You don't have the power. The spirit has the power. It's his job. You just got to tap God and bring him into the fight. And when you do, the fight will be over. And you do it daily, not just once for all. It's what he lives to do. It's his job. He's just looking like, like, please just ask. Bring me in. Let me. I will kill that sin. You can't. This is crazy. So New Year's Eve resolutions, New Year's resolution. Anybody make a New Year's resolution? Anybody still keeping it? They, they all fail. Like statistically, this is crazy. They studied 18 million people who made New Year's resolutions. And within two and a half weeks, 90% of them have already failed. That's crazy. People know there's something in my life. I want it to be changed. I want to be different. I'm going to make a resolution. I'm going to be different this year. 2020, that was hard. That was the hardest decade of my life. Now it's going to be 2021. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to make a resolution. Two and a half weeks in, by January 19th, they call it National Quitting Day. 90% have already quit. So the researchers are looking at this and they're like, that's weird. It's people who want to quit. They said they were going to quit. They went public about it. They signed up for a gym membership or an eating plan or whatever it is. And they've already bombed out two and a half weeks in. Like, what is that? They do a follow-up study. They ask people why. Far and away. You know what the answer is? We didn't have the willpower. Of course you didn't have the willpower. Because willpower is not greater than sin's power. But the Spirit's power is so much greater than sin's power. And so forget your willpower, bring God into the fight, let him kill the sin that is in your life and you'll be free. You will be free. It's his promise, not mine. And this, so Paul writes to the Galatian church. The Galatians were previously Jews. They had trusted in Jesus again for their justification. Like, okay, son of God, died on the cross, rose again, won't go to hell, we'll go to heaven to be born again. Great, check, we trust in that. And then they're like, you know what? And the law of God shows us what to do, the holiness of God. So we're going to follow all six, 600 plus commands uh, to show that we're still right with God, to pursue sanctification. Like what could be bad about that? Paul reserves the strongest rebuke that he writes in the New Testament to them. He tells them to castrate themselves so they don't reproduce this heretical theology. He's like, no, no. Let me ask you one question. Who has bewitched you? you foolish Galatians. That's not how to win friends and influence people. Like he's going hard on them for all time for us to read. And the reason why is they're like, yeah, we'll trust him for our eternity, but not for today. He says, let me ask you one question. Were you saved? Did this begin as a work of the spirit by hearing the word or by a work of the flesh? Well, it was a rhetorical question. They're like, of course. By hearing the gospel preached, that's how we were born again. He's like, great. Then do you think that this will continue, that you'll be perfected, that you'll be sanctified, that you'll be made like Christ as an effort on your own and by following some rules? This began as a work of the Spirit. This will continue as the work of the Spirit. There's no other way. And then he goes further and he says, let anyone who tells you another gospel be eternally accursed. That's, that's strong. He's saying, let them go to hell 
if they preach anything else. Strong language. And so we've got to remember We've got to return like, oh, it's not just salvation, it's sanctification. This is how we walk out this life. I tell people like this, like, I, my kids, when uh, it, happened, it happened this morning, um, my kids asked for milk. Here's what they didn't do. Oh, father, six foot one, who always wears boots, you have a receding hairline, you put on extra weight, and your freckles, they're angel kisses. Would you bestow upon us the fruit of the bovine? Not the half, not the skim, not the 2%, but the whole, the goodness from the fields. Would you give us a cup from your bounty? Just if you might, in your goodness, we beseech you. I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you, why are you talking like that? Instead, my three-year-old son, dad, I want milk. Cool, use your manners. Man, please have milk. Great. There it is. Give him the milk. That's it. That's it. Jesus says God does not hear us because of our many words. The, the pagans heap up empty phrases. Your father knows what you need even before you ask. He knows you need this. He knows you want to be free. He knows you hate that thing that you keep going back to. He knows it. And he wants to set you free. He's just looking for you to ask. That's it. There's this incredible quote from the magician's nephew. So this is the Chronicles of Narnia series. I was reading this with my kids and this like, like leveled me. So it's these two children, they've met Aslan. Aslan sends them on an adventure, like kind of a journey to go and conquer evil and whatnot. He's brought them into it. Allegory for us and how Jesus incorporates us into the kingdom. And here they are. Oh, they're with a talking horse. That's probably other helpful context. Polly and Diggory stared at one another in dismay. Well, I do think someone might have arranged about our meals, said Diggory. I'm sure Aslan would have if you would have asked him, said Fledge, the talking horse. Well, wouldn't Aslan know without being asked, said Polly? The talking horse says, I've no doubt he would, but I've sort of an idea that he likes to be asked. Friends, that's it. Like God's just inviting us. It, 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 he gives us daily bread, not annual bread, not lifetime bread. He's like, I know you're hungry. I know you're starving. Here's enough for Tuesday. I'll see you tomorrow. Here's enough for Wednesday. I'll see you tomorrow. Here's enough for Thursday. Because, because I think he at least knows me and probably you, that if he gave me annual bread or lifetime bread, he'd see me once a year, or once a lifetime. I'd be like, cool, thanks. I got what I need. And so he keeps us in this daily dependence upon him and not just to bear the fruit, but also to kill the sin, to uproot like, that's what he's doing here because he knows he doesn't want us to, to waver or go rogue. He wants us to stay close. And he wants us to ask. It honors him. It glorifies him and it benefits us. And so it is this, this daily interaction as my kids ask me. There's this crazy passage too in Zechariah chapter 10, verse one. And the prophet Zechariah says to the people, this is crazy. Ask the Lord for rain in the season of rain. Now, if I hear that, I'm like, okay, so it's already the season of rain. Like, it's already gonna rain. Why am I asking him for rain? Can you help me out with that? Like, it's gonna rain. You just told me it was the season of rain. Why? And it's the same principle. Like, you see it throughout scripture. He's just like, hey, this is good for you and it glorifies me, just ask. It'd be the equivalent of my, me saying to my kids, like, hey, at dinner time, ask me for dinner. 
And what that does, as I think about it, it is, is it doesn't raise entitled brats. And they're gonna stay in close communication with me when they're hungry, when they're needy. They can't do anything on their own. Like, they're, they're kids. We're kids. Jesus said, unless you come to me like a little child. And so it's this beautiful invitation. That's the spirit of God who is the sin killer, but there's also sin healing. And this comes from the people of God. So if you wanna be forgiven, you confess to God, right? That's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You wanna be forgiven, you confess to God. Now, if you wanna be healed, that's different. Healing comes a different way. This is a vertical confession for forgiveness. Healing is through a horizontal confession to each other. It's totally different. And God has ordained it this way. And the reason why I think, in part, is because we're called a, a royal priesthood. We're called to shepherd each other, to care for one another, like one another all throughout the New Testament. One another, one another, one another, one another, bear each other's burdens. It's all this like, interchange and reciprocal body working together. He doesn't want them like me and Jesus mentality. Like, yeah, I've got my podcast and I don't really go to church because that's not my thing. And I'm spiritual, but not religious. There's no such thing. Like there's no Lone Ranger Christianity. You're an amputated, atrophied, I don't know what, you're, you're, you're gonna die. You can't go rogue like that. It's all to be brought into the body. And I'll tell you this, I have told infinitely more people about Jesus because of my alcoholism than I have by my seminary degree. Like, it's not even a comparison. I've never led anyone to Christ by being like, have a seat. I've got a THM from DTS. Do you know what that means? In systematic theology. I mean, it's like nothing. You know what I have done? I have showed my wounds so that I can share my savior. Like when Jesus says to Thomas, Hey, I know you don't believe. He doesn't condemn him like, Thomas, get it together. The rest of the guys do. He's like, hey, I get it. I get it. This is crazy, right? Like I raised from the dead. It's crazy. I understand. Put your hand here. Put your hand on my wound. And after he does, Thomas believes and takes the gospel to India where he is martyred, killed for his faith. Like from unbelief to India, martyred him because he touched a wound. So let me tell you this, here's a sidebar. You show people your wounds in order to share your savior. And so all the time, like, man, I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's what Jesus saved me from. Because I didn't need a savior apart from my sin and nobody else does. All 8 billion people on this earth, they have one thing in common. They're sinners. They have sin. Not all 8 billion have a savior. And so you get to say, hey, put your hand on my wound of alcoholism. Put your hand on my wound of porn addiction. Put your hand on my wound of eating disorder, body image, social media addiction. Put your wound here on my, on my wound of insecurity and let me show you the resurrection power of Jesus because this doesn't define me anymore. Like he set me free. And they, like Thomas, will believe and be like, oh dude, because it's an inexplicable apologetic when you see a life change. Like there's just, there's no way. Like what, you just wake up and decide to change? Because nobody can. It's the New Year's resolution. Like, Nobody can, nobody can change. The spirit changes people. And so you could say, hey, let me, let me show you my wound so I can share with you my savior. He's made this horizontal confession if you want healing. It's James 5, 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and 
pray for each other so that, here's the purpose, not like so it can be awkward or weird or you sit in a circle and it's like, okay, cool. We like talk about our struggles. <laughs> Great. Whoa, psycho. Like, why did he share that? It says, so that you may be healed, not so that you'd be shunned, not so you'd be condemned, not so that you'd have to find another church, so that you would be healed. And it's reciprocal. So here's your two options. Someone confesses sin to you. Your option is either one, say, hey, thank you. Now I'd like to confess my sin to you. Or two, pray, pray for them that God would bring healing. It's this equation, like I confess, you pray for me, God brings down healing. We just sing that song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to take him at his promise. Like I, I do this and I think it honors God. You go to God and you're like, hey, we are confessing sin and praying for each other. You have to heal. Like God, you have to heal. According to your word, you're not a man that you should lie. It says it right here in James 5, 16. Not it says it, you said it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, you said when we confess and pray, you rain down healing. Like that's your word, not mine. I didn't make that up, you did. So you come through on your promise and that honors him. I don't think it angers him. I think he's waiting for us to ask. It says it in 2 Corinthians 1.10, where it says every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus through whom we say amen, which means let it be so. Like you've said it, we believe it, amen, let it be so. It's like bring the healing. Yeah, I tried it once, it didn't work. No, every day, like don't stop. Every day, it's not, it's not enough that you're like, yeah, I, I do that at the gathering on Tuesdays or I do it at the crossing on Sunday. That's altogether in, in, insufficient. This is not enough. Sunday's not enough. According not to me, but to God. It's Hebrews 3.13 where he says also horizontally. You wanna be healed, you confess horizontally and pray for each other. God will bring healing. But also in Hebrews 3.13, he says, encourage one another daily. Why God? So that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every single day, default setting is you're gonna be hardened by sin unless you were encouraged by another brother or sister in Christ. It's just a spiritual reality. You can't life hack your way out of that either. It's just, it just is. And so it's spirit of God daily, people of God daily, and that's how you go on the offensive. My kids have this... Uh, going to the promises of God. My kids have a phrase. If they say this phrase, we get Brahms ice cream. Like, no question. And you would think like, oh, so they're like diabetic because you must get Brahms all the time. All they have to do is say a phrase and you take them to Brahms, like you're a horrible parent and probably still an addict as you just swapped, swapped addictions. <laughs> we'll be like jammies, brush teeth, potty. You use those words when you're a parent. It's like so humbling. And you get them on bed they're all tucked in bed, nightlight's on, and it's like you just ran 26.2. You're like, oh, the marathon's over, daily marathon. You're about to go out the door, and I hear my son say, hey, Dad, can we go to Brahms? I'm like, no, uh, no, we've already done the night routine. We're not going to Brahms. He's like, but you said. And all he has to say is, but you said. And I'm like, get up. All right, load up. Kids, we're going to Brahms. Because he's not going to make me out to be a liar. And I did say, you eat your asparagus, we go to Brahms. And they ate their asparagus, but they forgot. But as soon as they ask, as soon as they say, but you said, it's like, load up. What do you want? 
Birthday cake and a waffle cone? Mint chocolate chip in a cup? Banana sundae? I don't care. We're getting it. Because I'm not going to be a liar. And that, I mean, how much more God? But you said, if we confess and pray, you'll heal. But you said, whoever confesses and renounces will find mercy. But you said, and it honors him, and he will give you freedom. So I told you about this question that I thought was so simple that it was stupid, and it had to do with the penny. So when I walked into that meeting, I was uh, the AA meeting, I was given a question. And the question that I was asked was, so at this point in my life, I'm a 12-year alcoholic. And, you know, alcoholism, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. I would drink scotch out of a coffee mug, a black coffee mug, and it had to be black because then you couldn't tell what liquid was in it. Because it was scotch, it wasn't coffee, but it would darken it so that I could keep the hanger over at bay and keep the buzz going. I would drink a fifth of scotch, like that was just, that was just a good night. Take more pills to get more messed up, weed, whatever it was, like I was just like, I was bad. So when I got asked this question, I'm like, that is so stupid. Are you kidding me? I'm never wasting my time in this asinine AA group ever again. The question was, could you, by God's strength, commit to staying sober for one day, for 24 hours? I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I have a serious problem. I don't know what kind of like kitty alcoholism you think you have. Stay sober for a day. Like, I need a lifetime of help. That's, a, that's insulting. And I said that. I was like, hey, I'm, I know you mean well. I actually, I need like real help. He's like, yeah, I get it. Will you stay sober for 24 hours? And when I heard that question, I thought it was like this penny. You see, this penny, if you found it in the parking lot, nobody's picking up that penny. Unless you're superstitious, and that's a different sermon. Don't pick it up for that. But nobody picks up pennies, right? Like the, the change thing, it registers, nobody takes it. It's, it's worthless. It's not even worth the money that it's printed on. I mean, the material that it's printed on. A penny is so insignificant. And yet, if you take Jeff Bezos, his money is actually just an accumulation of single cents. Like when you break it down, the richest man in the world, all he has is a bunch of pennies. That's what it is. It's just an accumulation of individual single cents that have just amassed to so much that it's kind of remarkable. And I dismissed the power of a single incremental small thing. I was like, one day? Dude, that's stupid. The same way that people would say like to Jeff Bezos, one cent? But he knows the value of an accumulation. And so what happened in my life is I said, yes. I was like, all right, Charlie, I'll take your stupid trick. Yeah, I'll stay sober for a day. He's like, by God's strength? I'm like, sure. He's like, cool. Then go get in a position of humility, ask God to help you. And what time is it? I'm like, six, Charlie. He's like, great. Call me at six o'clock tomorrow and let me know how you did. So I did. I stayed sober for a day, one day, but one day was nothing. When my family got after me about drinking, I stayed sober for a month. So I was like, one day, this is dumb. The next day I called Charlie. Hey, did you stay sober? Yes. By God's strength? I don't know. Did you pray? Yes. 
cool, then it was by God's power. You wanna go another 24 hours? I'm like, hey, uh, do you wanna go another 24 hours? Sure, Charlie, another 24 hours. Great, go pray, ask God to help you. Okay, Charlie, call me this time tomorrow. Great, another day. Third day rolls around. Sober 24 hours? Yes, God's strength, I guess. Another 24, hey, Charlie, how long are we gonna do this? Don't worry about that. Will you commit to staying sober by God's strength for the next 24 hours? Fine, fine, yes. Three days, then a week, then a month. Then there was this day. This day, I was in Colorado on a vacation. Everyone left the room. I was sitting there with an empty wine, not an empty wine glass, a wine glass. I pulled it up to my, to my nose. Smelled it. God, you gotta keep me sober today. Please keep me sober today, that day. More days pass, then there was this day. I'm sitting in Hungary, backpacking, sitting at a bar, which is a really bad place for alcoholics, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, which is progressive sanctification. I'd quit drinking, not quit smoking. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at everybody drinking pints and my buddy says, man, I don't think you're actually an alcoholic. I just went, I think you just went through a hard time. You can have a drink, you can have one beer. God, you gotta keep me sober today. You gotta keep me sober. More days pass, I'm on my honeymoon at an all-inclusive resort, which means I've bought probably hundreds of drinks. I just never got to drink them. <laughs> my wife goes back to the room to change for dinner and I'm sitting around all these wounded soldiers, which is what we would call half-drank drinks. And I'm like, dude, I could pick up any one of these. God, you gotta keep me sober today. And so after those days, after a few years and continuing on through it, one day became a week, became a month, became a year, became five years, became a decade, became 15 years. That's, that's like 5,500 pennies, 15 years of this powerful foe that I didn't think I could be free from, but God did it with his people, spirit of God, people of God, and he set me free just like he promised that he would. And it was all by a single day. And so don't focus on forever, focus on today. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness today. And so again, today, you make war against sin singularly. And let me tell you, you look at your penny right now, not to see if you have 1.7 million 1943, but look at it for this reason. This is crazy. On this penny, it's three things. Abraham Lincoln, he's the emancipator of the slaves the one who said, this is, this is so wrong. And in a way, kind of gave his life in Ford Theater for it. Jesus, the emancipator of the slaves, we were slaves to sin and Satan, who gave his life that we would go free as we were slaves. No longer, it's Romans 6. It also says liberty. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And it also says in God we trust, not in our own willpower, not in our own efforts, not in whatever new fad or resolution or life hack. And so with this penny in mind, here's what I'm inviting you to do. Here's what I'm imploring to you to do is to think about your struggle right now. What's your thing that you wanna be free from? And I wanna ask you to confess, to be authentic, to share with another person, girls with girls, guys with guys, to say, hey, this is, this is my thing. Like you can text them right now if you want and say, for the next 24 hours, I'm committing 
to not give in to my thing by God's strength, not my own. He's the sin killer, I'm not. And I'm gonna follow up with you the next day. I'm gonna set an alarm on my phone. And I'm gonna follow up with you the next day. I'm gonna let you know how I did. And if I fall, I'm gonna confess to you. You're gonna pray for me, God's gonna bring healing. If I make it that 24 hours, praise God. And I'm gonna ask God to give me another 24 hours. And I'm gonna go another 24 hours. And I'm gonna go 72 hours and then 96. And I'm gonna keep going until I've got enough distance from that that I'm not like giving into it all the time. Not sinlessness, but sinning less. Because he'll do it. I just think he likes to be asked. He's your father and he's good and he's not mad at you. Every single day, still to this day, I did it way back in 2005 when I was days sober. I get on my knees every day, like face to the dirt. And I say, God, this is your day. I mean, it's not the same words every single day, but I'm like, it's yours, Lord. I'm a really bad Lord of my life. I'm a bad God of my life. You be Lord, not just my savior, be Lord, which means master. And just in a position of humility, if you can't get on your knees, raise your hands. Some kind of humble reminder because we're body, mind, and soul like, God, give me the strength just today. He delights to do it. He will do it. You ask him, you text a friend or call them. Hey, this is my thing. I'm committing by God's strength to not give in. I'm gonna follow up with you the next day. You set that alarm on your phone. I would not waste my time or yours if he would not do it. I have given my life, the rest of my life, to tell people that Jesus is real. You are never too far gone and he can change everything. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the promises that are in scripture. They're not just nice truths. They're not just true because they're true. They're promises that we can take to the bank that we can say to you, but you said, and you come through. It's what you live to do. It's what the spirit lives to do. We need to only ask. And you have so ordained that we don't do it alone with you, but that we do it in concert with the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. And so Lord, I pray for a movement. I pray for a movement here at the gathering of confession and repentance. I believe that Repentance is the root of revival in souls as we turn from sin to the Savior and live the full abundant life that you have promised. Lord, let it be for our good and your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.